0: Welcome to the Journal of Community and Supportive Oncology podcast. I'm Dr. David Henry, editor of this journal, and I'm delighted to bring you this podcast for the November-December 2017 issue. So this month begin with a really terrific review by our associate editor, Dr. Linda Bosserman, and her letter from the editor about cancer care in 2017 and all the new therapies at our disposal in this changing healthcare system. In our community translations, we review brigatinib. A new approval for ALK positive non small cell lung cancer and pembrolizumab for MSI high tumors, regardless of site of origin. We have a How We Do It article reviewing lessons learned from an oncology care model internal pilot and a review on the management and treatment of typical and atypical bronchopulmonary carcinoid. We have original reports beginning with supportive medications and interventions received by prostate cancer survivors differences in psychosocial stressors between black and white cancer patients, and the impact of combining human and online supportive services, both, for prostate cancer patients. We have several case reports, one on metastatic e carcinoma and one on cold hemolytic anemia in an influenza A patient. We feature Dr. Jane D. Lartigue reviewing the expanding treatment options for diverse neuroendocrine tumors, and we finish this issue with a journal club from Dr. David Mintzer, listing the landmark approvals in oncology looking back in 2017. So let's begin. Our letter from the editor in this issue is written by Dr. Linda Bosserman, entitled Cancer Care in 2017 with Promise of More Cures with the Challenges of an Unstable Healthcare System. Multiple scientific advances and bench to bedside translations with new drug approvals occurred in 2017. and will be highlighted in just a moment But Dr. Bosserman notes, our excitement must be tempered by continued challenges in expanding access to this care and discusses how we should pilot more effective payment models and consolidate delivery systems. So what about payment reform? Everyone seems to agree the fee-for-service model does not align with incentives to improve health care outcomes at lower cost. So what is being done about it? Well, there are several initiatives. Medicare is testing an oncology care model at more than 200 sites in the U.S. with early data expected out in this year, 2018. Anthem Healthcare continues with its cancer care quality program with two key requirements. Participants are compliant with Anthem-approved drug pathways, and the caregivers register the patients at the insurer's oncology website and enter their clinical data for review. Aetna Oncology Solutions takes a different approach with increased payment for generic chemotherapies while United Healthcare has eliminated the markup for new drugs and continues to mark up the prices of the older and generic therapies. ASCO hopes to pull these ideas together with their patient-centered oncology program, or PCOP, which is similar to Medicare's alternative payment model. PCOP focuses on high-quality care and not just fee-for-service. Results and data to follow. In addition to new drugs and new care payment models, what about diagnostics? ASCO has launched a monthly series called Molecular Oncology Tumor Boards, you can view on their website, that discusses new technology, like the increasingly popular liquid biopsy, which can use next-gen sequencing on tumor specimens for either cell-free or circulating tumor cells, and can yield tumor biology understanding and provide molecular targets. Finally, Dr. Bossman lists the new FDA approvals for 2017 and their indications. Later in this podcast, Dr. Minzer has an article which will do a more detailed review on drug indication mechanism of action, dosing, and possible adverse side effects. But back to this letter from the editor. In 2017, we had trastuzumab, biosimilar ogviri. Sinitinib was approved for adjuvant treatment of higher-risk renal cell carcinoma. Obinotuzumab received approval in combination with chemotherapy followed by of monotherapy in patients previously untreated with advanced follicular lymphoma. Emicizumab, trade name Hemlibra, was approved to decrease the frequency of bleeding in adults with hemophilia A who have factor A inhibitors. brentuximab vedotin received approval for the treatment of previously treated adult patients with primary cutaneous anaplastic large-cell lymphoma. Electinib was approved for the treatment of anaplastic lymphoma kinase-positive metastatic non-small-cell lung cancer, ALK-positive non-small-cell lung cancer. And Vemurafinib was approved for the treatment of patients with Erdheim-Chester disease who carry the BROF V600 mutation. Acalabrutinib was granted approval for treatment of adults with mantle cell lymphoma who have at least one prior therapy. And of course, CAR T-cell therapy was one of the highlights of 2017, and the product axa cab-to-gene trade name Yescarta, made by Kite Pharmaceutical, was approved for treatment of adult patients with relapsed, refractory, large B-cell lymphoma after two or more lines of, ther- of systemic therapy. This drug is one of five CAR-T products in clinical trial, or pending approval, abimaclaciclib. Moving on, abimaclaciclib was approved in combination for a fulvestrant for hormone receptor-positive HER2-negative advanced metastatic breast cancer with disease progression following endocrine therapy. Copenlisib received accelerated approval for treatment of adult patients with relapsed follicular lymphoma who have at least two prior therapies. The bevacizumab biosimilar, trade name Mavasi, M-V-A-S-I, was approved for multiple types of cancer. And, of course, these biosimilars carry the promise of a cost reduction of some 20 to 30%. In AML, the liposomal encapsulated combination of donorubicin and cytarabine, trade name Vyexos, V-Y-X-E-O-S, was approved for treatment of newly diagnosed AML, while endocitlinib was approved for AML relapse or refractory with the IDH2 mutation. Moving over to breast cancer, neratinib was approved as the first extended adjuvant therapy for adult patients with early stage HER2 overexpressed breast cancer following trastuzumab-based therapy. Ceritinib trade name Zykadia, was approved for metastatic non-small cell ALK-positive lung cancer. Avalumab was approved for metastatic urothelial carcinoma, which has progressed during or following platinum-containing chemotherapy. And while on the subject of, ur- of urothelial carcinoma, nervolumab was approved for metastatic patients who have disease progression following or during platinum-containing chemotherapy. Fulgatinib accelerated approval for ALK-positive non-small cell lung cancer who progressed or are intolerant to chrysalidinib, while osamertinib was approved for the EGFR mutant non-small cell lung cancer T790M patients. Neuroeparib was approved for maintenance treatment of adults with recurrent epithelial or ovarian fallopian tube or primary peritoneal cancer who are in complete or partial remission following platinum-based chemotherapy. Palbociclib, a CDK4/6 inhibitor, was approved in combination with aromatase inhibitor as initial endocrine-based therapy for postmenopausal hormone receptor positive, HER2 negative advanced breast cancer. Wow, that's quite a list. And we'll hear some more about it coming up at the end with Dr. Minster's article, but this was a banner year in 2017 for FDA approvals. And this was only the first approvals for drugs. There are at least 15 expanded or additional indications for drugs already on the market. So, uh, for your, view, for your review, I refer you to this wonderfully comprehensive piece by Dr. Boschman, which you can see online at jcso-online.com. So moving on, speaking of ALK-positive lung cancer, our first of two community translations by Dr. J. Abram is entitled Brigadinib Approval Yields Additional Treatment Options for Cresotinib-Resistant ALK-positive Non-Small Cell Lung Cancer. This approval was based on non-comparative phase 2 ALTA, ALTA, trial data. 222 patients were randomized to receive either 90 or 180 milligram orally daily following a 7-day lead-in. Overall response rates were 48% and 53% respectively for these two doses. And these responses occurred quickly. The duration of response was 13.8 months for both doses. Notable were the intracranial responses, In patients with brain metastases, 42% and 62% responded, respectively, without radiation. The most common adverse events were nausea, diarrhea, fatigue, cough, and headache and visual disturbance. The sponsor also warns to be vigilant for hypertension, bradycardia, CPK, hyperglycemia, and pancreatic enzyme elevations. Our second community translation is entitled Pembrolizumab. For MSI high tumors. It marks the first tumor agnostic FDA approval, in other words, site of origin, tumor tissue doesn't matter as long as MSI is high. Pembrolizumab, of course, is a programmed cell death receptor inhibitor that blocks the interaction between PD-1 and its ligand PD-L1, restoring the activity of tumor infiltrating T cells and boosting the anti-tumor immune response. It is particularly effective in MSI high tumors. This approval was based on 149 patients, all MSI high cancers of various types, who received 200 milligrams IV every three weeks or 10 milligram per kilogram every two weeks watching for toxicity or disease progression. Overall response rate was 36.9%, and among 78% of patients who responded, the response lasted six months or more. 11 were complete and 48 partial. Common adverse events were fatigue, paritis, diarrhea, decreased appetite and rash, And of course, vigilance is required for the immune-mediated toxicities we've come to know with these other checkpoint inhibitors, which includes pneumonitis, which I've seen and can be quite bad, although fortunately infrequent, colitis, hepatitis, and diarrhea. Especially interesting is the endocrinopathy of pituitary inflammation, which can lead to a visual disturbance or hypoadrenal or hypothyroidism. In this month's How We Do It section, The article is entitled, From Oncologist to Analytics, Lessons Learned from Oncology Care Model Internal Pilot by Dr. Jerry Russell-Hoverman from Texas Oncology in Austin, Texas, and colleagues. For the past 15 years, government and and oncology practice have been on separate trajectories in the oncology care model. In 2003, the Medicare Prescription Drug Improvement and Modernization Act, or MMA, focused on drug price reductions from an average wholesale price Based schedule to an average sale price based schedule. This was changed by the Sequestration Act 2013, and more recently, a proposal to restructure the payment for Part B Medicare drugs is pending. In this article, 13 practices affiliated with the U.S. Oncology Network were invited to participate in the Oncology Care Model, a value based initiative, and analyze and report the following domains. 24 seven coverage, electronic health record, certification, navigation and care coordination, continuous quality improvement model, incorporation of the Institute of Medicine and Care Plan, and adherence to nationally recognized guidelines. They report an unexpected finding which include the difficulty identifying eligible candidates, the need to increase emphasis on adherence to national guidelines, and the need for strategies to reduce hospitalizations and emergency department visits. So it's a good idea, but not always easy to implement. There's a wealth of data in this pilot program that showed challenging aspects of this oncology care model, which might one day lead us to emphasize quality over quantity or fee for service. Next, a review article entitled Clinical Presentation Diagnosis and Management of Typical and Atypical Bronchopulmonary Carcinoid, for Dr. Hashimi and colleagues from the James Brown Cancer Center, Louisville, Kentucky. Carcinoid tumors account for about 1% of all lung cancers. Most patients are asymptomatic. But symptoms may develop depending on tumor location, size, and growth rate. The distinction between typical and atypical carcinoids is based on histology, of course. Atypical carcinoids tend to have higher potential for local recurrence as well as distant metastases. Surgery is the treatment of choice for local regional disease. There is no recognized standard of care for advanced lung carcinoids, and successful management requires a multidisciplinary approach. This article provides an updated review of the most recent literature in the diagnosis and clinical management of lung carcinoids. Biochemical measurements are required for secreting tumors. CAT scan, PET scan, and radionuclide testing, including the recently available gallium dototate scan, gallium-68, which will replace the octreotide scan. It's one day and not several days. Of course, histology and staging are crucial to diagnosis and management surgery for localized disease, and systemic therapy, such as Everolimus or somatostatin analogs for metastatic disease. So I recommend this excellent review with many tables and charts that the clinician should find very helpful. Next, supportive medications and interventions received by prostate cancer survivors results from the PICTURE study by Dr. Francis Drummond and colleagues from Department of Epidemiology and Public Health University College in Cork, Ireland. Prostate cancer treatments are associated with after effects. They adversely affect man's, the, man, the patient's health-related quality of life. This investigation reports the use of supportive medications and interventions in a population-based study of prostate cancer survivors. This included 3,364 prostate cancer patient survivors. Use of supportive medications and interventions was low. Younger men were often... Used medications for impotence and depression, while older men sought help for bowel problems and incontinence. 36% of survivors reported decisional regret significantly higher among those taking supportive medications or interventions for impotence. In other words, they sort of regretted having done the intervention. This study documents, perhaps for the first time ever, a population based data on patient-reported use of supportive medications and interventions to alleviate adverse effects of prostate cancer and its treatment. The study's basic question is to how and when medications and interventions for treatment after effects could further improve the survivor's quality of life. Next, differences in psychosocial stressors between black and white cancer patients by Dr. Leslie Hinyard and colleagues from the Center for Health Outcomes Research, St. Louis University, St. Louis, Missouri. Screening patients with cancer for a psychosocial distress enables providers to make referrals to researchers and clinicians early in the course of treatment. The study analyzes differences in overall distress and individual psychosocial stressors between black and white cancer patients after first visit to the cancer center. The NCCN distress thermometer was used on a cohort of patients from January 1, 2015 through February 19, 2016. 933 patients with evasive cancer completed the NCCN distress screening tool. 70% of patients were black. 33% of them indicated a high distress in their first visit. Black patients were identified more frequently upset about housing, ability to have children, loss of interest as sources of distress, whereas white patients were more often treatment decisions and nervousness identified as their problems. The study concludes there are differences in the source of distress by ethnic background which might have relevance in developing more advanced screeners for cancer patients and distress analysis. Next, the impact of combining human and online support resources for prostate cancer by Dr. Robert Hawkins and colleagues from the Center for Health Enhancement Systems Studies, University of Wisconsin, Madison, Wisconsin. Prostate cancer patients need some information and supportive care. This study was to determine whether combining computer based support with a human cancer mentor support would benefit the prostate cancer patients more than either alone. Newly diagnosed prostate cancer patients from three centers were randomly assigned to receive either the web based system of support or telephone and email support from a trained cancer information mentor. Very interestingly, the study found combining human and computer based interventions did not produce the expected stronger benefits to patients. The study concludes that, given the cost involved in the computer-based system alone, it is likely to be preferable and avoid the extra expense of getting a human involved. We have several case reports. The first one entitled Metastatic E. Crine Carcinoma with Stomach and Pericardial Involvement, and a second case report entitled Cold Hemolytic Anemia, a Rare Complication of Influenza A Infection. And next, a feature article by Dr. Jane D. Lartigue, our science editor, entitled Expanding Treatment Options for Diverse Neuroendocrine Tumors. This feature reviews this unique tumor type by pathology classification and then by FDA-approved targeted therapies for neuroendocrine, or NET, NET tumors. These therapies include Everolimus, Sinitinib, Lanreotide, Octreotide, avilumab, Venetinib, and Cabozantinib. Somatostatin analogs are usually a first line of therapy followed by the other medications listed above in patients who progress. This is a comprehensive review with some nice graphics, mechanism of action, and drugs in clinical trial that the clinician will find very useful. And finally, a feature article by Dr. David Minzer from the Edison Cancer Center, Pennsylvania Hospital in Philadelphia, entitled 2017 Not Just Some Landmark Approvals. So here again, you will hear all of the approvals by tumor type, dose, and side effect from 2017. The article begins with breast cancer. CDK-4-6 inhibitors first approved in 2015. The newest one now is ribocyclib, or KISQALI, K-I-S-Q-A-L-I, 600 milligrams daily, three weeks on, one week off, approved for use in combination with an aromatase inhibitor. The Response rate was 53%. Combination compared with 37% for aromatase inhibitor alone. Side effects of neutropenia are common, but as in previous CDK4/6 inhibitor, it's rarely therapy interrupting. EKGs need to be monitored for QTc prolongation. In addition, another CDK4/6, abimeclizumab (trade name Verzenio), was approved in combination with fulvestrant. The dose is 150 milligrams twice a day, and progression-free survival was 16.4 versus 9.3 months in women with advanced hormone receptor-positive breast cancer. Also in breast cancer, the tyrosine kinase inhibitor neratinib, trade name Nerlinx, was approved for extended adjuvant treatment of HER2-positive breast cancer after one year of adjuvant trastuzumab. This drug is given at 240 milligram, or six tablets, daily for a year. This was compared with no treatment and demonstrated an improvement in invasive disease-free survival, at two years, from 91.9 to 94.2 percent. While this was small, it was statistically significant. Difference. Side effects were mostly diarrhea or liver function abnormality. And perhaps, is best for the most or highest risk patient in this category. For acute leukemia, midostaurin (trade name Rydapt), a FLT3 inhibitor, was approved in combination with donorubicin and ara for newly diagnosed AML with the FLT3 mutation. It was given orally days 8 to 21 at 50 mg twice a day with induction and consolidation, and there was a 10% improvement in overall survival when adding this drug. This drug is also approved for aggressive systemic mastocytosis. Also in, ANL, in AML, anacitinib, trade name IDHFA, I-D-H-I-F-A, was approved for AML with IDH2 mutation in the refractory or relapsed setting. The IDT- the IDH2 mutation is present in about 20% of AML patients, and it was given orally at 100 milligrams daily as a single agent and associated with a 19% complete remission rate. Patients need to be monitored, however, for the differentiation syndrome, similar to ATRA in APL. In AML, the liposomal combination of liposomal donorubicin and cytarabine, trade name Vax, VYXEOS, was approved for newly uh, sorry, for therapy or a myelodysplasia-related AML. This novel combination is given intravenously on days 1, 3, and 5 over 90 minutes, 38 versus 26% complete remission rate compared with the standard 7, 3, non arubicin Demtuzumab, or myelotard, was initially approved in 2007 but was withdrawn from use in 2010 and is now being re-released in lower dose and schedule from its original label, this immunoconjugate of an anti-CD33 bound to calichiamycin is approved for CD33-positive AML, given at a dose of 3 mg per meter squared on days 1, 4, and 7 in combination with standard donorubicidin deduction induction therapy. Moving on to GYN cancers, the PARP inhibitors have been under study for quite some time, and the PARP inhibitor olaparib, or Lynparza was approved in fourth-line setting for germline BRCA-mutated patients with advanced ovarian cancer with a response rate of 34% of median duration of 7.9 months. Given at 300 milligrams orally twice a day, it is now approved for use in maintenance in the recurrent setting after response to platinum-based chemotherapy with two or more lines of therapy regardless of BRCA status. Rucaparib or Rubraca is approved for BRCA mutated patients, germline or somatic with advanced ovarian cancer after two or more lines of therapy. Given at 600 mg orally twice a day, there was a 54% response rate with a median duration of 9.2 months. Niraparib or Zegula, ZEJULA, is approved in maintenance of recurrent epithelial ovarian carcinoma after platinum-based chemotherapy in patients with the germline BRCA mutation. Niraparib 300 mg orally daily resulted in progression-free survival for 21 months compared with 5.5 months with placebo. Next on to non-small cell lung cancer with the ALC mutation, chrysotinib or zalcori has been the mainstay of treatment for this patient type. However, electinib, trade name Alexina, A-L-E-C-E-N-S-A, previously in second line, seems more active than chrysotinib in first line, particularly in treatment and prevention of CNS metastasis. Brigadinib, mentioned earlier, trade name Alunbrig, has been approved for patients who are intolerant or refractory to chrysotinib. 90 milligrams once daily for seven days, then escalate to 180 milligram daily. It was noted have a 50% response rate in chrysotinib failures, incredible, including in the CNS. Finally, seritinib trade name Zycadia was approved at 750 milligram once daily for ALK-positive non-small cell lung cancer in first line and had a response rate of 52% versus 27% for chemotherapy with a remission rate duration of 23.9 months. And finally, the pd one pdl one antibodies include nivolumab and pembrolizumab in widespread use. Also, the anti pd one antibody, adlizumab, now approved as avolumab, an anti pd one for Merkel cell, and in previously treated urothelial cancers at a dose of 10 mg per kilogram IV every two weeks. It had a 33% response rate for Merkel cell and 60% response rate for advanced urothelial cancer. Dervolumab, or MFINZ, is another anti-PDL1 antibody approved at 10 milligram per kilogram every two weeks for previously treated urethelial cancer with a 17% response rate. And we're almost done next. The PI3 kinase inhibitor include copin lisimab or Eloqua ALIQOPA as a PI3 kinase inhibitor approved for relapsed follicular lymphoma in patients who have progressed after two lines of previous therapy as a 16 milligram one hour infusion given on days 1, 8, 15, every 28 days in a Phase two trial, a apparent 59% response rate, 14% complete. There's a new BDK inhib- BTK inhibitor, acalabrutinib or calquence, C-A-L-Q-U-E-N-C-E, approved for adults with previously treated mantle cell lymphoma in Phase two trial with 100 milligram orally twice a day to achieve 88% overall response and 40% complete. And finally, the CD19 CAR or chimeric antigen receptor T-cells, CAR T-cells, may be the most exciting development, certainly novel, in 2017. tisagen Lesusol, or Kimriah, K-Y-M-R-I-A-H, is approved for refractory B-cell ALL with a complete response rate of 83%, and Aksakabatagene, trade name Yescarta, is approved for adults with relapsed or refractory non-Hodgkin lymphoma, after two lines of previous therapy for the large cell lymphoma, primary mediastinal B cell lymphoma, and transformed follicular lymphoma cell type. Response rate 72%, complete 51%, which is just amazing, and a median duration of 9.2 months. Well, hope you made it through the whole podcast. A lot of information. And this concludes the November December 2017 JCSO podcast. And we welcome your comments and suggestions, so please visit us at our website, jcso-online.com. That's jcso-online.com, where you can review any aspect of this current issue or previous issues, and thanks for listening.